everybody. Welcome to Blue Collar Real Estate. I'm Greg Mayo. And I am Ryan Herget. We are going to dive into one of my favorite exercises to do when working with a new buyer, and that is where do we want to live? How do you pick a location that's best for you? And we're going to show some really cool tricks and insider secrets that you can use to really get those numbers, see over 10 years, 20 years, what's actually happening in the area that you're considered living in. And don't worry, folks, it's not going to be all spreadsheets and data today. I won't let that happen. Um, But we do have a lot to dig into. Before we do, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, rate and review, leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Today's episode is brought to you by Luis's Taco Truck and Mobile Gynecology Office, um, where you can get fresh street food and your annual exam all in the same truck. <laughs> Where do you come up with this it's, stuff? It's a thing. <laughs> Look for it in a parking lot near you. Oh, my word. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, what are we doing? I, I need a woosaw moment right here to like bring myself back. <laughs> All right. So one of the things I absolutely love spending time doing when I'm you know, sitting down with somebody that's looking at buying a house and they're like, well, what do you think about this area versus this area? Well, I can't obviously tell anybody, hey, you should live here. You should live there. But what we can do is really as a real estate agent, we can shed some perspective. We can share some insight to them that maybe they can't get on their own. And that's simply just kind of pulling back the curtain on what we're doing with real estate, showing them what are the tools we have access to as real estate agents to really kind of figure out, okay, front, yes, I maybe want to live here because of the schools, but what's the income, you know, what's the growth projection look like? What have properties done here from a value standpoint? And it really helps shed a different light on, hey, maybe I could make some money on this if I buy in the right area down the road, perhaps. Right. Because with the right data, buying a house can be an investment. Absolutely. Buying a house can absolutely be an investment. And and I'll, and I'll never forget when I was in, you know, I, I first got into real estate in the early 2000s. So right coming out of the 90s. And at that time, for the first 10 years I was in this business, nothing went up in value. Here in central Indiana, it was yeah. 3% a year if you're lucky. And if you stay in your house four or five years, maybe you could sell it and get out even. That's just kind of what it was. And you bought homes for very different reasons. But now that's all changed since 2012 when we started coming out of the real estate you know, recession, whatever we want, wanted to call it. Man, people started making money on homes. We just helped somebody sell their house. They built a brand new home in Greenwood, Indiana, in uh, that closed in July of 2007. I'm sorry, July of 2018. They got a job transfer. We sold that house in August of 2019, so 12 months. They walked away after paying all the fees it takes to sell a house. They walked away with 14 grand. That's fantastic. And. That's just a real story of what's happening. And that's one example. And I'm going to show you some numbers today that, man, it's impressive. I was walking through somebody, I was walking through this exercise with somebody else the other day in Whitestown, Indiana, and go look at the numbers for the last 10 years in Whitestown, Indiana. It will blow your mind. Well, and briefly, I think a lot of the reason for that, number one, Indianapolis is an awesome city. Yeah. Um, I love it here. Wouldn't want to be anywhere else um, unless Tom Silva's hiring, in which case I'll go to Boston. But (laughs) Still won't be a Patriots fan. But anyway, um, but a lot of companies are choosing to headquarter here in Indianapolis. Definitely, um, We have a great compact downtown with lots of stuff going on. And so we have a lot of corporate headquarters coming in. Salesforce is one of them. Um, and a lot of these companies are now incentivizing their employees to move here. Yeah. So everybody is looking for homes. Uh, which is driving the value up, right? It It's certainly one of the indicators. I think there's a lot of things that are impacting value, and that is that is a whole other conversation for another time right now. But, you know, things that I think you have to consider are, you know, when you're looking at value, 
you know, simply is, is the house going to be in the location that it's going to accommodate me and my family's needs or my needs from a professional standpoint? I think there's a lot you have to look in, not just long-term value, but I think it's, it's something that if more people were aware of, they might use it as more of a consideration factor when deciding where do I want to ultimately land? Okay. So I'm a dude coming from out of town. Yep. I want to buy a house here. I get a hold of you. Yep. You're my guy. You're going to help me do this. What, what do we do? Cool. So I'm going to ask you some questions and just kind of get to know you a little bit, obviously. And then I'm going to figure out, you know, okay, what are the areas that you're thinking? You know, what have you heard? You know, and Fountain Square is a big one. I'm, you know, I'm going to, sh- I'm going to use that as an example today, but Fountain Square is a great area. We've seen a lot of growth. There's a lot of cool activity going down there. Oh, yeah. And if I take somebody down there, there's always a wow factor involved because there's some cool stuff that I can take them that I can show them. And so maybe that's an area that I'll start if somebody's looking for more of an urban type setting. And plus the numbers are just insane. And it always wows everybody to begin with. So why not start with the good stuff, right? So that's what we're going to take a look at today. I'm actually going to show my screen here, and I'm going to kind of take you through an exercise of what you can actually look at, or you could ask. I'm not exercising today. You're not? not. That's a good idea. I'll watch you exercise. So... I'm, I'm going to take through just that an, an exercise will do, though. You don't even have to move. And I'll show you, okay, what was happening in Fountain Square, as you know, an example in this case, what was happening 10 years ago there? What was the average home being purchased for? How long did that average home sit on the market? Things that you can use to make a decision. You know, yeah. when, when, when the average home sits on the market for 120 days, that says something. There's a story in there. When the average home sits on the market for three days, that tells another story. Right. And it's, it's helping people understand what is going on here. So that way, if we go out and start looking at homes and you find the right one for you, and now I tell you, you have to write an offer for 10000 over asking price, and you've got to do it right now because otherwise you're not going to get a chance to buy it, you're going to look at me like I'm crazy, right or wrong. Right. So that's the last thing I want somebody to to have to go through when they're buying a house. I want them to know what's the market doing. I want them to know what are the key indicators they need to pay attention to. So that way this process isn't stressful. It's enjoyable and possibly very rewarding as well. So so does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, all right, we're, we're doing Fountain Square. All right, so I'm going to switch to really showing people the real estate MLS. And, and and if you're not, you know, you're listening to this on iTunes or something, I want to encourage you to log into YouTube or go onto our Facebook page, Blue Collar Real Estate, and watch this visual demonstration or just call me and I'll walk you through it as well. But it's such an impactful way to see what's going on. And really, when you enter the real estate market from any perspective, really know what, you know, if I'm going to dive into the deep end, I want to know how deep it is before I go all the way down, right? So that's the, yeah, that's what I was trying to get out there. So what we've got pulled up here is the real estate MLS. And I'm going to kind of walk through it verbally as well, but I'm going to show people what's all the stuff they don't get to see. Now, hang on just a second. What you're seeing exactly or what you've pulled up exactly yep. is something a realtor can pull up. Right? This is what a real estate agent is going to pull up. It's what an appraiser is going to use, but this is the source of where almost everything that you see on web websites like Zillow or Trulia or realtor.com. This feeds all of that. Okay, this is that central yep. hub of information is your local real estate, you know, BLC as we call it, or MLS in other parts of the country. This, you know, the information on Zillow has to come from somewhere, right? Right. And this is what feeds most of it. Now, there's other stories we can get into on that. Some real estate agents don't go in. But this is overwhelmingly (laughs) the most conclusive data set that we're going to find for our area. Okay. This is what appraisers use to determine value. So this is it. This is legit information. So as I'm looking at the screen, I just want to show people truly what's really going on. And I'm going to pull up. I saved this just for the sake of saving time here. I pulled up Fountain Square here, and I drew a map around the defined areas of Fountain Square. 
square according to Google. Okay, and you can see that on here. So I just truly drove drew a map around Fountain Square. And now some real estate agents might ask, well, why didn't you use the, uh, the, the illegal description? Or why didn't you use the subdivisions in there? The problem is because all of the information going into the MLS is also entered by real estate agents and the checks and balances are a little thin in some areas, <laughs> especially back in 2009. Now, I, I know many companies have done an extraordinary job of going back and getting information updated. But let's just say when you're relying on real estate agents whose skill set is not generally data entry, there's errors that get made. And so we're going to do the best we can with this. But I feel this is, you know, again, if you're buying a house, this is what they're going to look at to establish Value. Right. So we just drew our map around Fountain Square, and we can see throughout the entire history of recorded data in our system, there's 1,480 people that have bought a house and closed on it in Fountain Square. Because I've got checked right here the sold box. Here's where this starts to get get cool, and I want people to pay attention to what this number says as we go through this. We're going to go back 10 years. Okay, we're nearing the end of 2009. Right? I'm sorry, sorry, 2019 right now. Yeah. Let's go back to the worst of the worst. Let's go back to what was happening 10 years ago when nobody wanted to live in Fountain Square before we had the Super Bowl here in downtown Indianapolis. Let's go back to what was actually going on there. So we're going to look at all of the homes that sold in Fountain Square in 2009 alone. So I'm going to put in January 1st of 2009 and I'm going to go forward to December 31st of 2009 okay and that number went from 1480 down to what Greg 53 53 wow. homes were sold in 2009 in Fountain Square now I'm going to hit results and I'm going to throw all this into a quick data set so we can look at what we, what we want to see here and that is the average house okay not the good ones not the bad ones just the average house, okay? Your normal house that was 1,355 square foot for three bed and one bath was coming on the market for $42,394. Now get this, it took them 106 days or four months almost to get an offer for a 17% discount. Wow. For 37.9. So the average house in 2009 in Fountain Square was selling for just, just at $38,000 and it took them almost four months to get that. So this is when people could truly go into the marketplace because you didn't have to write an offer the first time you saw it. You could go in and you could negotiate. And a 17% negotiating rate is a lot. Oh, yeah. By any standards from real estate. Okay, so that's, that's our baseline for where we're at. Now let's fast forward five years, okay? A lot happened in, you know, between 2009 and 2013 in Fountain Square. But let's jump forward just a little bit. Okay. And what I love about this exercise is, again, you can do this for anywhere you want to live. So if you are just curious about, hey, what's my community look like? And you know, I live in Brownsburg, Indiana. What's my community done over the last 10 years? We can do this for as specific areas you want. And it, it paints such a really cool picture as to, man, maybe I do want to move up to this area or move over to this area when you look at it from you know, through a new lens. So fast forwarding from 2009, we're going to go to 2013. That's not five years, is it? No. I need to go to 14. 14. I'm so good. Years. I'm glad you're here, Greg, because I'm good at math. Okay, so we're going to go to 2014. Now, this is, I want to remind people what was going on in 2014, because that was not yesterday at this point. Right. Okay, so 2014, we are now a good two, three years coming out of the recession. Things really started to turn around yep. in 2012. We really started to see things move forward in a positive way. You know, we had the Super Bowl here. The city dumped how many millions of dollars into the downtown infrastructure a year or two prior to the Super Bowl? Yeah, I don't even remember. It, it was, was over $100 million. It was massive. So there's this massive influx, which is something I want to talk to you about later. How do you know what's going on? How do you know where the city's putting money or where are new infrastructures and improvements coming? Those are all things that you can know in advance 
and make decisions on to possibly walk away from your house with more money. Back to the story here. Yep. So five years later in that same area, we went from what 52 to now how many people bought a house in Fountain Square? 64. So roughly the same number of people bought a house, but let's see what changed. And this is where people start to get a little bit like, oh my gosh, what did I do? So now in Fountain Square, fast forward five years, as my computer's thinking here right now, here we go. So now we were at 40 what thousand before? Selling at 38,000? Yeah. So in five years, the average house is hitting the market at 134. And what's it selling for right here? 130, 97, almost 98%. And it's selling in 70 days. Okay. And why that is important, Kate, okay, I can't do the math. I don't know the difference in percentage growth between 38,000 and 130,000, but I know that $92,000 is a lot of money in five years by any real estate standard. Absolutely. So that's a good thing. So that's what just happened in five years there. And the average house took less than a month, or I'm sorry, took 30 days less to sell. What's that mean? What's that mean in the market? That means that you don't have as much time to make a decision. Okay. Anytime, according to the Federal Reserve, okay, that you're seeing a real estate market where the average house, again, not the good ones, but the average house is selling in less than 90 days, they determine that to be a seller's market, meaning that the buyer doesn't get to go in and offer 20000 under asking price because right. we're in a seller's market. And high school economics taught us that means what? That there's simply more people that want homes than there's homes there to homes. buy, period. So that drives values up. High school economics taught me how to sleep sitting up. Um, it was pretty riveting. I do agree with that. <laughs> all right. So now we've looked at 09. We've looked at 14. Yep. What, what's, what's the last year look like? So now let's fast forward to when things have just gotten a little bit crazy going on downtown, downtown Indy. So now let's fast forward to 2018. Okay. We'll forget a, a, even about 19 yet, which is almost done. But let's look at 2018. Okay. So four years after that. I'm getting tingly. 156 people bought a house in Fountain Square. So three times the activity almost, right? As, yeah. Well, not quite. Two some. Well, yeah. yeah. Close That's enough. Good at math. Now, this is what's going to blow people's minds. And this is what makes me just absolutely want to punch myself in the kidney for not having bought homes here. Because I'm looking at all this data in 2013. This dude in my office is like, Ryan, you've got to look at this. And he started building some homes downtown. And I'm like, eh, I don't really know anything about that. I'll stick out to the suburbs. But looking at this now... So within 10 years, the average house in Fountain Square is $267,000. Not 30-something. Not 38. Same area. So that's not bad. Location didn't change, did it? No, no. Size of the house is a little bit bigger. It was 1,300-some change. Now it's 1,700-some change. But simply put, that's $200,000 in growth, $230,000 in the average home's value increasing over a 10-year span. Wouldn't that be helpful to know the next time you want to buy a house in any area, what has been happening? Absolutely. So, and, get, anyway, go ahead, Greg. It, well, and I'm just, I'm, I'm looking at this, and you showed this to me before. Um, as a real estate agent, before you showed this to me, I didn't know we could do all that. I mean, I really didn't. Now, now I do, and, and it's, a, it's a great tool, and it doesn't matter what part uh, like you said, it doesn't matter where you're looking. You can yep. do that for anywhere. I can do that for my subdivision. Absolutely. And and, 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 and when you get hyper-specific about you know what you're looking at, 
it's what helps when you're trying to determine what should I sell my house for? Let's say maybe I'm thinking about selling my house in the spring next year. Okay. We're very few people want to sell their home history or less people want to sell their home, you know, when it's cold outside, but when the spring hits, this is an exercise that you could have your real estate agent go through with you right now and take a look at what's going on in my subdivision to get a very specific understanding of, hey, if we're going to spend any money getting our house ready to sell, where should we spend it? A common mistake I see so many people make because they're not diving into these details is they'll over-improve their homes right now. Yeah. If people spend $40,000 on a backyard and none of your neighbors have spent that $40,000, did you? are you going to get that back? Probably not. Not even close. And I, I remember doing a kitchen um, on the Near East side several years ago almost eight years ago now. Nice home, nice working class neighborhood. And what I mean is none of the houses from the outside look particularly upgraded or, or fancified. Yeah. Um, but they were all well-maintained. People cut the grass, they trimmed their hedges, they took care of their properties. She wanted granite countertops. Yeah. And when I asked her why, she said, well, it'll help with the value of the home. And I said, no, where we're at, granite, quartz, imported Italian marble, nothing, you're not going to get that money back. An updated kitchen will help the value of your sure. home. Now, this is from a conversation from a contractor. Uh, we went with really nice Formica countertops um, because that fit the neighborhood. So that's just an example of not over-improving. But, but those are things that I think people, you know, they, they, they see HGTV shows that they just yeah. did this to a backyard. They show that they put granite in, and it's easy to throw everything into this tub and say, yep, this is how, how I should do it. But that's just not the case. You really have to understand where am I spending this money if my goal is to get maximum return on it down the road. Now, so uh, we've chosen Fountain Square. Yep. And, and we've looked at the data sets. Now, the other thing we need to factor is the surrounding areas. And I think that's huge. And I want to pick your brain on this. So let's talk about what are those factors that are impacting the surrounding areas? You know, where are community dollars being invested, perhaps? Kind of bring us up to speed on maybe what a buyer would want to look at when it comes to, hey, what's going on around us? Well, as I start to dig into this, can you pull back up the map you had of Fountain Square yep. that outlined? Um, because the neighborhood is the neighborhood. And that's that's important. We want to talk about where we're living and what's going on. And um, I'm going to clear these out here real quick. Sorry to interrupt you, Greg. So that way you've got a clean map. Oh, that's cool. Um, down in the comments section, there'll be links you can go to to look at schools, to look at um, crime, to look at different data like that. So, uh, uh, or if you're on one of the iPad, uh, good night, I can't even talk. That technology stuff, you got one of them going for if, you. If you're doing something where you ain't got no video, then down there in the description, you'll be able to click on stuff there too. But let's look at this. So we got Fountain Square here, and I'm interested in that, and, and you've provided all the data I need, but let's talk about the surrounding areas. In other words, what's going on around Fountain Square? Yep. And I see I've got a hard border there with the interstate, right? Yep. Typically, any municipality you're in, if there's an interstate, that's going to be a hard border. Uh, but if I'm in Fountain Square, what, what what's going on in this neighborhood here? Um, which is Bates Hendricks, yep. and we know there's growth there. What's going on? Um, is there growth in the other neighborhoods, or is there a hard line where I jump across it and I'm scared for my life? Without a doubt. And and to take that one step further, you know, you and I going through an exercise like this with another client a couple of weeks ago, we showed them what you know they thought they wanted to be in Fountain Square, but then when we showed them what was going on a couple blocks over, that the growth projections were very similar. They chose to kind of move over a little bit. It wasn't as important as just saying I live in Fountain Square. They wanted to be, you know, have access to all of the amenities, which being a couple blocks down the road didn't change that. Right. So. And and the thing is, and that and that brings up a great point, because 
the houses we were showing them are in what I would call a borderline area. Mm-hmm. And there's there's three different ways to look at an area in a municipality in a city like Indianapolis. There's the areas that have already experienced the growth yep. where in Fountain Square today, you're going to buy a rehab opportunity for 80 to 120 grand. Yeah, that $30,000 house doesn't exist anymore there. But you get just outside of Fountain Square where some revitalization is going on, but it's not quite there yet. You can buy the same house for 25 or 30 grand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can go a little further out and be a pioneer and buy the same house for eight grand. Do you have the guts for that? I don't know. That's yet. Yeah, everybody has a di- you know different risk tolerance there. Another factor, though, that I think is really important, especially if we're, you know again, talking about an urban area like this, is the walkability factor of can I get where I want to go? Well, huge buzzword, right? People that are buying houses in cities now, they like walkability. And what that means is they can leave their house and walk to a restaurant, a bar, um, a market. They can go shop. Um, They can get to public access or public transit quickly. Um, So all those things are very important in a downtown area. Now, there are some areas that are being revitalized, like Fountain Square, uh, Mass Ave area, uh, that have incredible walkability. Everything you want is within a few blocks on foot. There are other areas where the houses are being redone, but the area hasn't caught on quite like Fountain Square has. And the main reason is because there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. You can't walk to anything but another house. Um, and that we'll get into some other time about how Indianapolis was developed and how it grew at the turn of the last century. Not today, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really cool story. That's definitely a story for another time. But, but so walkability is also a big factor and how safe do you feel walking which goes back to the you know what other data sets can we look at can we look at crime data can we look at um what would you say are the top three things that somebody needs to consider as far as you know yes do do i like this area is important but you know you mentioned schools you mentioned crime statistics maybe what are the other one or two that you would say would lump it you know in there with those that people really need to take into consideration when they're considering buying a home well, you factor in schools, you factor in crime, um, and you fact you got to factor in, does the neighborhood fit your needs? Sure. Um, and that's going to be different for everybody. And showing up with your agent and looking at a house for 12 minutes and then getting in your car and going somewhere else is not going to tell you anything. Yep. So I always send people houses, and um, I encourage them to do their research on the area before we get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times people the, – the, look, buyers are savvy now. And they'll go ahead and pick up that gauntlet and go drive through the neighborhood. Um, Don't just go through it at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, go through it at 9 o'clock on a Saturday night. That's what I always like to encourage people to do is is don't just look at it the time that we look at it. Come back. Let's take a look at it again this evening. Look at it when the times are the busiest, when people are generally coming home or leaving for work and getting a feel for is this where I would you know want to be or you know you know raise my family, et cetera. I think there's so much that you want to take into consideration, you know, beyond just hey, I like this house in this area. Right. Um, and it, if if you dig the dugout. In Fountain Square, which is like one of the best dive bars in the city, <laughs> um, go eat dinner there, have a beer, and then walk to the house we just looked at. Yeah. What does that feel like? It looks good on a map. It took you a, a second and a half to drive there, but you walk it, and it's actually 14 blocks. Yeah. So does now, does that meet your needs? You know what I mean? Is that a good fit? And, you know, just small little tools, too, that I think a lot of times people don't take into consideration that I always share with somebody that we're helping throughout the buying process is, you know, Google has all this amazing technology, right? What's, you can, what's Google? Right, right. So you can pull up Google Earth 
you can look in the backyard. You can see, is this close to the interstate or not? If you don't want to be close to other stuff, then pull up Google Earth and see what's around you. Again, you know, like you said, looking at the entire surrounding area. You know, Getting on Google Street View, believe it or not, is a great tool. You can get a, and generally sometimes they're a year or two old, but you get a good feel for, is this something that I would want to go explore? And you can do all of that without leaving your couch. And that's where I think technology has really changed things, where I can remember back in 2003 or four. You used to have to go look at 15, 16, 20 homes sometimes because you didn't have your phone where you could look at 55 of them every hour right? and get instant notices this time something comes up. So, And, and not to be contrary, and I, I, I totally agree, Google Earth and the Street View, and that's fantastic. But I want people to remember if you're buying in an urban setting, a year is a long sure time. Is. Sure is. Um, the street we were on Friday or Saturday whenever mm-hmm. we were down there. Um, a year ago, just a year ago, that street was a bunch of rundown houses. Yeah. We drove down there the other day, and it was the first time I'd been there since last summer, been down that street, literally. Um, there were three new builds and four rehabs all going on within two city blocks. Yeah. So yeah. things change like that in they the do. city. And that's where you've got to get out and see it. Now, we talked just briefly, and I don't, I, I don't want to get too far off on this, but we talked just briefly about how do you know what neighborhoods are coming. Mm-hmm. Um. One of the one of the best indicators is is the city, and, and again for us it's Indianapolis. That's a lot of times our example because that's where we're at. But is the city dumping money into infrastructure? Mm-hmm. Are they putting in new water mains? Are they putting in new storm sewers, sidewalks, redoing the roads, um, all those kind of things? When they start doing that, when the city starts putting money into that, then investors are going to start putting money Without into that area. <clears throat> Excuse me. And a good example, just west of. Um, IUPUI, downtown Indianapolis. There's a neighborhood that uh, was three or five years ago. The Indianapolis Visitor, IBJ, mm-hmm. ran an article about the city putting millions of dollars into the infrastructure because IUPUI has nowhere else to go but west. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're starting to see the home values in that area going up. We're starting to see people buying the lots and building new on it. We knew that was coming five years ago. Yep. If you're paying attention, you know, to what the city's doing. Um it's not, and, and don't don't ever let a real estate agent tell you if you're a home buyer listening to this or watching this that they can tell you exactly what the market's going to do. No. None of us know. We have no crystal ball. I mean, I have one, but it doesn't work. It's in the shop. Um, <laughs> but um, along with my Nimbus two thousand, <laughs> but uh, but we can we can look at the data, the data that you provided. We can look at the information that we get from the city and see get a pretty good handle on what an area might do. Yep. Um, but you have to have that information up front. I agree. And and, and I think as, as we wrap this up, that's that's probably one of the biggest takeaways is you have to do your homework up front. You have to surround yourself with people that have walked that path that know exactly what questions you do need to ask before you decide that, yeah, I want to go live in this area or I want to live in that area. It's not that difficult. It's just knowing what questions to ask and uh, get in the right direction. So. Absolutely. And as much as we'd love to get into more on this, and we can later, um, we got to go. So don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, if you have questions, put them down in the comments. We'll answer them on a one-on-one basis if we can. Or I'll uh, be handing out Greg's cell phone number. So give him a call at midnight or anytime thereafter. And I'll give you Ryan's address if you want an in-person <laughs> consultation. Uh, but for now, for Blue Collar Real Estate, I'm, I'm Greg Mayo. And I'm Ryan Herget. We appreciate everybody's time. Take care, guys. Thanks.